0: Speaking Uh, of more whimsy than (laughs) Pompadil. This show is increasing in whimsy, no matter how dark the material ends up being. And I I love that about this. That's right.
1: Did you ever watch, like, the Colbert Report?
0: I did, from time to time.
1: Do you remember when he had, like, the threat down bears? He's like, (laughs) (laughs) threat down bears. What's happening now?
0: Stephen Colbert, another famed uh, Tolkien nerd
1: oh really i didn't know
0: that it's it's really the best part about him um he actually did he did a trivia thing with um uh dominic monaghan and billy boyd on his show where they they brought him hard um lore related questions and i think he aced it or they 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 uh gave him a trick question uh once and and kind of stumped him uh yeah he loves he loves tolkien um, okay I've got I've got one more obsessive question about the trees because uh, I love them so much. Um, it says that of all the things which Yovana made, the the two trees have the most renown and about their fate, all the tales of the elder days are woven. Uh, I think uh obviously I agree um there's something special about the trees and uh, I can't think in the record of anything that came after them. Um, that Yavana did that was better um, or more significant, um, had more of an effect. on the world. And I think that's what I love most about Yovana. Uh, other than uh, other than uh, nagging Ale from time to time. I love their argument, uh, which I, I will be the next chapter we talk about too. So that's I love that chapter. Does anybody have any particular reasons why they think that um, the two trees would be the most renowned of all of Yavanna's works? And maybe even, I would even go so far as to say, all of the works of the Valar.
1: Well, unlike the Mithril and Rings of Power, it seems like the two trees are tied to the fate of the El. which <laughs> just made Lee mad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd almost well, then, forgotten about that plot line. Man, I'm sorry. You you just tore open the- my trauma. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but the fate of the of the elves seemed to be linked very much with the two trees. So I can't say a whole lot more without spoiling a lot of stuff, but let that put a pin in that for now.
2: They got a lot of light off of them. They did, I and mean, they <laughs> stored it. Like, how do you store light? That's great, great vats, like shining lakes. Okay, it's magical.
0: It is magical. So there is a thing when when they were talking about the trees. It says, uh, so this is kind of going back to what I was what I was thinking about audibly before about like how do you get a store of light. In, in one paragraph, it says, uh, talk t- in a physical description of the trees, the one, the one had leaves of dark green that beneath were a shining silver, and from each of his countless flowers, a dew of silver light was ever falling. And the earth beneath was dappled with the shadows of his fluttering leaves. The other bore leaves of a young green like the new opened beech. Their edges were of a glittering gold. Flowers swung upon her branches in clusters of yellow flame. Formed each to a glowing horn that spilled a golden rain upon the ground, and from the blossoms of that tree there came forth warmth and a great light. Uh, Telperion. Oh, it just talks about the names. So I almost thought, like thinking about how you could store light, were they just gathering leaves and blossoms as they fell from the tree? Because I don't think I don't think that they they lose any light, even if it sheds, even if each tree were to shed their leaves. So it's almost like if they rake up the yard under the trees that they will have a store of light because they have leaves and uh, blossoms from the tree that they can then store up and use later. Um, So almost like it's redeeming yard work, you guys.
1: Yeah, and that's interesting too with the, like, kind of the glittering lakes, shining lakes, you know, that, I don't know. I don't even know what Tolkien was going with there, but that was, so that stood out to me as I was reading it, you know, just the idea of like, I I understand like when lakes kind of reflect the light and it's, they look like they're glittering, but there's something a little extra happening there as well.
0: You know what it reminded me of? Uh, It reminded me of two things. One is again, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not. Uh, We all know elves exist. Um, but when elves exist, when they wake up, um, it's by a lake called Cuivienen, and they see the stars in the reflection surface of the water, uh, and and they see the so they see the stars in the sky, which is why they they end up loving Elbereth so much, right? Because the stars are her domain, but then they see them in the water as well, and then on top of that, the whole um, regarding dwarves, the whole thing with dwarves is the mirror mirror, which is seeing. Again, stars in a reflection pool, uh, where he, where Durin, the first Durin, saw uh, basically like a crown of stars on his head when he was looking into this this pool of water, um, and that's kind of the beginning of of Durin's folk. Um, so again, it's another thing about glittering water surfaces, um, and then also obviously the uh, stars seen in the surface too. So uh, I think glittering glittering water. Well, it, it, in the um the mirror of Gladriel as well, right, is a is a little bath basically, a little bird bath. <laughs> you can see things in. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, just,
2: uh, I'm just thinking of Monty Python now. The lady <laughs> of the lake. <laughs> 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 Strange women lying in ponds This is, Pond, is not a no basis for
0: government. government. Everything can come around to Monty Python eventually if you talk long enough. We did it. We did it, man. (laughs) We've we've, we've already hit so many of our regular quotas tonight, and we're not quite done yet. I love it. We're so effective. Podcasters of the year right here.
1: (laughs) With the trees, though, just real quick, I think it can't go without missing that you have the tree of life and then... You know the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then even like recently with my kids I started reading some Norse mythology and there's the tree of Odin in there and trees are they feature well and I have the theory that because of the true story the creation story of the garden of Eden with the trees that those trees kind of disseminated differently into other myths and lore um So I think it's important, you know, of a a feature for Tolkien's mythology to have significant trees. And in his case, the two trees, even though they're very different from the tree of knowledge and good and evil and the tree of life, but still very important, like fundamental elements of myth there, I would argue.
0: Trees do factor heavily into a lot of myth and are are uh, um, carry a lot of weight uh, across multiple cultures. Um, Nick could probably uh, critique my my Platonism, right? But it's it's like we're all yearning for the uh, um, for the true tree, right? So there's we see the tree of life in Revelation. It's you know I could see that as like the the tree of trees and every tree that comes after it has is is part of um is taking part of its form and and we're all yearning for that um and and seeing that pop up so um i don't know that's that's a that's a fresh thought i want to i want to chew over more but do nick do i pass the platonism test
3: yeah yeah you do but see, it, it can also be bad because you know you think of uh, Boniface, and you know you have Thor's oak, and he goes in and he just chops that thing down. You know when you when you worship something that isn't the the you know isn't or if you venerate something <laughs> that isn't uh, <laughs> the right thing, then it, it, it's a problem. That's bad, oh. uh, and so. Mm. But I think I I used some words there that that might have been offensive to people like trigger Tolkien, words. But yeah,
0: we are the literary Baptists. We're not the literary Papists, right? That's so, true. So true. even though we're reading a Catholic author, a Roman Catholic author, we have a perspective that we're coming from, yeah. and it is more valid than that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, don't worship created things. That's the main point I wanted to make. Uh, I don't know what I've heard in, in this, all this. Trees, not worth
0: worshipping. Don't worship trees, They're man.
2: They're good. I don't know. I, I heard that there's a tree-shaped hole in all of us. <laughs> we're just we're longing <laughs> to have that filled.
1: Have you seen like those memes that go around not really memes like images or like your blood like your veins or whatever look like a tree uh-huh uh yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's some like sort of pagan nonsense, but it's out there.
0: I saw a really gruesome image once where somebody had a really terrible pulmonary embolism and they managed to to get the clot out of the lung and uh, actually I think the person actually coughed it up. It wasn't surgically removed. And it, so it was sitting on like some uh, a bit of paper towel, and it really looked like the root system of a tree, because it had it had molded itself into the internal structure of of that lung, and uh, boy, that was wild. Um, and then Facebook That's put right. the uh, put the sensitive filter over it. <laughs> <laughs> you had to like click the yeah. Button. Your lungs
1: really do look like trees, reversed on the inside. What is so, ugly organ, by the confession. way? But necessary.
0: Yeah, the lung is an objectively ugly organ, but very necessary. Sorry, Nick, I had to I had to say that very important thing.
3: No, it's it's true. I, I have a confession. This is off topic a little bit, but I did go to one of those things like the bodies exhibit where they oh. I guess got like you know, like Chinese prisoners and cut them up once they died or whatever.
0: Yeah, turn their cadavers into uh, plastic
3: yeah and so I went and saw those and they did one where it was they I guess they you know put some kind of resin into the uh, circulatory system and it does kind of look like a tree so i've seen I've seen it and I regret it a little bit because <laughs> I don't think that that's a good thing to go to uh yeah there were ethical issues there yeah I didn't trauma really think about it at the time I, it's not so much the trauma. I think the ethical issues for me are, are well, there were some things. I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not good.
0: Go to your local morgue and see a real cadaver.
3: There you go. Just
0: ask. Oh, oh there's pass. a. Actually, there's a really a interesting trip. Yeah. No, I was actually I was recently watching Still a really interesting. <laughs> I forget the name of the YouTube channel, but, uh, I was, I was recommended a video about how, uh, hydration affects your body. We, I I'm way off topic too. So I apologize, but it was fascinating. And the channel actually does take, um, you know, like uh, cadaver donated cadaver organs and uses it to, um, uh, to educate people about the body. And so he was showing parts of the brain, um, and, Obviously, kidneys, lungs, and I forget there was a fourth organ uh, that of how those organs are affected by both uh, by, by hydration, dehydration, and overhydration. And it was fascinating. It was super cool. Um, nothing looked like a tree in it, though. But but boy, it was cool. And he had real—I mean, it was real cadaver organs that had been preserved from um people who had donated their bodies to science or whatever so it was it was more ethical,
3: more ethical sourcing
0: yeah um well since we're on the topic of death oh man great segue <laughs> I'm a professional guy
3: A guys. plus man. A plus plus I, segue
0: I am uh, killing it tonight <laughs> uh so I have a I have a quote I want to throw <laughs> Uh, uh, Solid. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's late, okay. I'm I'm an hour I'm an hour in the future compared to you people, so I'm tired. Uh, I want to throw a quote at you, and I, I think we could get some interesting talk out of this. So, the dealings of the Ainur have indeed mostly been with the Elves. Uh, for Iluvatar made them more like in nature to the Ainur, The less in might and stature, obviously. Um, whereas to men. He gave strange gifts. Now, I would say, right as a as a race of men, I actually consider the uh, the gifts he gave to elves as strange gifts, right? Because they they live uh, in perpetuity um, unless they're slain or or die of of uh, terrible heartbreak, uh, as it says in the chapter. Um, those seem strange to me because. Um, because I live with the gift of mortality, even though I think most of the time we don't consider it a gift. Um but to, but to men, Iluvatar gave strange gifts. What do you make of that?
2: It's written from the elves' perspective, right? So it would be strange to them.
3: Yeah. It also reminds me of, so I used to like uh Doctor Who. And one of the things that, uh, you know, he would always come back to Earth because he just liked humans because you know there are always these weird alien creatures and everything but humans there was something about them that was different you know man is is the equivalent here there's something different about them uh the thing that i find interesting here is that the the elves are are connected to the earth and men are supposed to be more connected to uh you know to look upward but. I don't see that with us as, you know, I do with us, like the four of us and with, you know, some people, but a lot of times people are a lot more connected to the earth than they probably should be. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of materialism and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was an interesting, uh, you know, point that he's trying to make there uh, because I, I mean, I get too to earthly things, you know, I think, Oh, you know, this, institution's been around for so long you know why would we want this to get just to fall apart like it's really sad or you know oh these buildings don't last very long uh you know when i see like some gothic ruins so i i thought that was interesting because it doesn't it doesn't actually seem correct to me and maybe it's because elves and men are both supposed to kind of represent men in some ways. Uh, But I I don't, I don't know. It just didn't seem quite on.
0: Well, it's interesting because in the, in the flow of, of middle earth history, right? The elves do. It's so funny because the elves do leave middle earth. Um, They have a set time basically where the last elves leave and the world becomes the realm of men. And so I think in that case, and, and so, you know, as the, as the, uh, the legendarium connects the, you know, the end of the middle earth timeline and moving on into our present day, right. That's kind of the, there's a supposed to be a bridge that, you know, this is kind of like an ancient history of the earth. Right. Um, and so I think men do take on a bit of that Elvish role of, well, we're here, we need to be people of the earth as well. And and they do kind of get split between, uh, dealing with the earthly matters that normally would have been the domain of the elves uh, while also at the same time doing their very um, mannish uh, duty of, of looking up and looking toward the uh, I think that's uh, I think it's interesting that that, you, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. Uh, we're just seeing the part before, before that earthliness gets, gets handed off to the race of men. Cause I think that's, that's true for us. You know, we, We can be very much uh, um, entranced with earthly life and, and lose lose sight of the fact that we are spiritual beings. Um, We are a soul and a body. It's, we're not purely material. Um, We're not, and and we as Christians aren't materialists. We're, we are supernaturalists Um, and we, we have to address soul and body.
1: Well, I think too, that, you know, Tolkien is kind of thinking like more historically human nature i mean even the fact that we have mythology and lore points to the fact that we're thinking of something transcendent you know beyond earth itself and just that kind of mentality of contemplating the eternal and contemplating you know what comes after death that's just something that i would imagine i mean i know they're made up, but the elves wouldn't think about because you know death is not something that's kind of on the horizon for them you know like they can die obviously but they have to be killed or i think it says through grief you know or or to be slain but for man it's just it's just part of you live and then you die and that's just kind of the accepted thing and i even think of i was really um affected by when I was reading about the Numenoreans and how they were directed to want to live longer and how they started turning to focusing more on the worldly things and trying to kind of cheat death even though they had longer lives than most mortal men would. Um, I kind of think of it like that in that you know men just we have to contemplate death regardless of whether you live 400 years you know or not um there's that and then just the focus on the eternal like what happens after and thinking about that where it seems to me like the elves are very focused on on the earth and what happens there and I have kind of a small theory that in a sense the elves kind of embody like lore and story itself because they last for so many lifetimes and they're so like devoted to song and lore. And you think of that, like Elrond, like he knows all this stuff, you know, he has all this knowledge and in a sense, I don't know, to me, it's like that they're kind of like that lore, like that lives longer, but it's not forever. Like, cause they're tied to as long as the world lives, but even that doesn't last forever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The elves are, Part of the world, they're like, they're like an institution. Like Nick was (laughs) talking about, they're one of those things that you you point back to, and you can. They're reliable, you know. They're always there. And telling the same story.
0: And if they do die, either in war, you know, being slain, or uh, another spoiler like Fanor's mom, who just kind of gives up the ghost, uh, they actually have the option to come back to Middle Earth. But this chapter actually says, you know, they can return. Um, and, uh, there's a notable elf in, um, Lord of the Rings, uh, who will see actually get slain in the Silmarillion and, and returns, uh, in, in the, the events of Lord of the Rings. In fact, he's, he's the one that actually, um, uh, saves Frodo after he's been stabbed and, and, uh, uh, fair uh, taxis him on horseback to, uh, um, uh, to Rivendell, uh, who was replaced by Arwen in the movie. But um, he's a he's a reincarnated elf, basically. Yeah. I loved Arwen and stuff, but man, he it would have been cool to see this dude, but whatever. Jackson made his mistake. I like
3: I like what you said, Maddie, about like the the elves being like mythology and, and uh and lore. And you know when when you talk about the time of elves ending and then time of men beginning, you can kind of point to that almost as like the modern era when people stopped, uh, you know, being concerned with those things. I was reading about uh, in in that revolt of the elites book. It was about uh, the beginning of public schooling and Horace Mann. and he hated mythical story. He hated fiction. basically, he thought that kids should only learn nonfiction and that it should be like should have clear lessons uh, all these ideas were terrible boo. i like all these things were just yeah boo, boo. for all of them but uh you know the, uh, there was that time where uh people wanted to move away from those kind of things and even theology reflected that during the the 19th century and everybody was just like oh let's get rid of all the supernatural stuff everybody's and then there's some other people who are like no the bible has it clearly let's keep it <laughs> yeah. uh and and so now we have like a completely different kind of set of things i guess now we could we could say that it's the time of the orc it's come uh but <laughs> yes the, the your, your beloved <laughs> postmoderns, Lee, we we uh, see
0: the, oh thank you yeah Yeah, I was gonna say we see the orcs on lives of TikTok constantly.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) I even think of like Rivendell like right now, you know, my family and I were reading fellowship and they get to Rivendell and they hear all these stories as soon as they get there, you know, all this lore and they're kind of informed um, and that and it all kind of connects. So that's really where I think I'm on to something. All those elvish like rap it.
0: battles in in Rivendell and, and Bilbo writing his song. Uh, well, it, and like the way The Hobbit describes, of course, it calls it the last homely house, but it is Rivendell. But, you know, it's a place where you could whatever you liked, you could do there, whether you wanted to sit and eat or if you wanted to, to read, if you wanted to talk and have discussion with people and tell stories best. Uh, or if you just wanted to sleep, if you just wanted to rest, you could do any of it there. It was kind of the last place that was like home. Um, away from home Uh, and and i I,
1: and how like bilbo tells his story or sings his song or whatever mm -hmm. it is and they want him to do it again Mm -hmm. like they just love story and song Mm -hmm. and poetry
0: i forget who said it but somebody was saying that uh it was it was a credible commentator it was on a podcast somewhere (laughs) i can't remember which but um tolkien actually kind of considered himself a poet first um and you can kind of tell because it seems like especially in lord of the rings every other Page there's a song being sung by Somebody Um, And there's an entire volume Of the histories of Middle-earth that is nothing But poems Um, The Lays of Beleriand it's called Um, Which tell basically Verse versions of stories That are in the Silmarillion Or Unfinished Tales Um, There's a verse A a verse version of um, Baron and Luthien um, and, uh, And A couple other stories too pretty cool um but yeah again the the poetry aspect i think is is really huge and uh and i think tolkien was able to kind of pour his love of poetry into the elves
2: i want to go back to the gift of men for a second i think ecclesiastes applies here and it's uh i've kind of more on the side of what maddie was saying that it's a little more of a a long view of of what men Desire. Um, it's, uh, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And that's—I think that that's pretty accurate for what Tolkien wrote here about men. And, and I also thought a lot of um, like the Tower of Babel, where the our desire is to transcend Earth, and it's not always the right way but it's built in
0: because we get to mankind but not on our terms
2: (laughs) right right right. yeah so that that's always there and and not not for every single man but for mankind Mm -hmm. i would say that's universally true uh, throughout history that's a really good point that's my two cents nick (laughs) that was
0: one that was more like 5 cents and and we we yeah. appreciate
2: it.
3: Yeah, it was a good nickel.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and you think too that even in like more modern times when people are rejecting the spiritual and god and all that kind of stuff they're still responding to it. They're still having to answer that question. You know, they might be wrong, but they're still saying there is nothing after death. Like they're still thinking about what happens after death. And then now we have things like Neuralink and all this kind of other stuff going on where people are still contemplating death and, and what it means to live and exist. And I just feel like even though people are trying really hard to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, uh, oh, I've you know, it's back. it's I've heard that before. <laughs> uh, you know they're they're still thinking about it, even if they're denying it.
0: They can't escape it. It's an it's an inescapable reality. So you you either have to deny it or or agree with it, but you can't say it 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 doesn't exist. It's it's unavoidable. Um, a lot
2: of people do really still embrace spirituality. They just embrace bad spirituality. <laughs> like this is not this is not good you say you're spiritual but it doesn't mean anything
0: and and a lot of times now that spirituality is is in reality demonology right a lot of the occultic practices that are kind of coming coming about which even though they're they don't actually have a connection to the black magic of of olden times but it's still a demonic practice um in in lots of ways And, and there have been testimonials of people that have been hurt uh, through through doing those things, so so yeah, you can say it is spiritual, no doubt. It's just darkly spiritual. It's 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 Melkor's kind of spirituality, not not Iluvatar's. To 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 speak, uh, Tolkienian uh, uh, on that. Um, I was very I was very taken by this uh, discussion about the Iluvatar's gift to men, uh, strange gift such as it is, um, and it, I one of the, uh, one of a track that I've been on for the last kind of year or so, year and a half, um, it's definitely been since the pandemic. Christians used to have a practice of memento Mori and you go and you old Christian, um, headstones would have, um, uh, would have that phrase on it sometimes. Um, or, uh, or it was just kind of a, a commonly used phrase, um, among Christians, but among others, other people as well, and kind of to go back to what you were saying earlier, Nick, about um, about people too focused on on our times uh, and, and becoming materialistic. Um, that is a just considering that you will die, which is what memento mori means. Remember, you will die, is is a really easy way to kind of cut through that facade that this is all there is right? We have to, we have to face up to the point that we're not going to live forever. One in one people die and there's, there's preparations to be made. You know, there's, um, you know, for us, there's repentance and belief, uh, that, that we would call people to, um, our times limited, um, this gift of death, uh, can, can be, uh, can truly be a gift if we, if we are at, at peace with our creator, uh, if the grace of Christ is with us, if our sins have been forgiven and placed on him and his righteousness given to us in the great exchange. Um, and so for the Christian memento Mori is a, is a beautiful thing. It really is a gift um, because it, it, it points to uh, redemption in, in an eternity with, with our God who who bought us, who made us and, uh, and reclaimed us. Um, and so um, I, I was, as as a as a redeemed person, as a Christian, uh, I I was very much kind of heartened by uh, by reading this, um, and I really uh, I enjoyed the way that uh, that Tolkien wrote these last few paragraphs of of this chapter. Um, I'd like to read them, but I don't want to I don't want to step over anybody else's comments if if you have any. Um, I but I, I'll I'll end the episode uh, by by kind of reading the last couple paragraphs.
1: It was hard for me to, it's still hard for me to think of death as a gift, you know, because, you know, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but eternal life is the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So in a sense, it's, it's kind of backwards, but then you also understand, I guess, what Tolkien is trying to do here. Um, he's trying to make it look, or at least point you to the eternal, that there's something better than what is here now, and that. You know, just wanting to live forever is to be kind of one of the pursuits of man. Is to not die um, is not as fulfilling, I guess, as how it sounds. And obviously, like, like you said, you know, for the believer, we have hope um, in the eternal life and the life to come. But but it is still very difficult. You know, someone as someone who's been touched by death, death is hard. And it's sad, um, you know, to be left behind, as it were. Or, you know, family members or loved ones that are not believers—it's especially difficult. Um, but it, it, I would say that just reading this, Tolkien has really kind of challenged me because I am someone who who struggles with that, and I'm thankful. Like our church right now, we're going through Ecclesiastes, and I really needed these sermons. Um, because it is so difficult, you know, life just does seem like it's fleeting. My kids are getting older and it just you blink, and all of a sudden all this time has gone by and it just seems like it goes by so fast. So, you know, that's sad in and of itself, but to to be reminded, you know, that there's something more. So I'm I'm grateful, you know, even in these stories, it's kind of being brought to light that there is something to look forward to, and it and all of our hope isn't here on this earth and in that sense gift is a death or death is a gift um but i don't know it's still weird for me to think of as a gift
0: yeah when i was reading this uh actually the second time i read this chapter to prepare for the episode i actually wrote at the end of the chapter to live is christ and to die is gain because I, I see a lot of crossover there. Now, of course, there's no no salvation aspect is discussed here, but um, but we know that that's true uh, for for those of us who are in Christ. But um, again, I know we talked a little bit about you know whether uh, part of the story is is universalistic at all, but because it does kind of seem like it's all men uh, go to be with uh, Iluvatar in the system, but I don't think that's actually true because um, there are men who sided with what will well, with melkor slash morgoth in in his war um and then of course in the third age in the, the war with sauron there were men who sided with sauron as well i don't believe they're in the, <laughs> i don't think they went to the uh, to uh iluvatar's side uh, after they died so um I, I i don't think it's universalistic but it does speak in kind of unqualified terms here but just a little addendum um Maybe, uh, let me let me uh, read these these couple paragraphs, and if we want to, if anybody has any kind of final comments on on this, but I I think it it the ending of this chapter is a beautiful way to uh, discuss this uh this strange gift to men. Um, for it is said that after the departure of the Valar, there was silence, and for an age, Iluvatar sat alone in thought. Then he spoke and said, "Behold, I love the earth." which shall be a mansion for the Quendi, which is a word for the elves, and the Atani, which is a word for men. Uh, But the Quendi shall be the fairest of all earthly creatures, and they shall have and shall conceive and bring forth more beauty than all my children, and they shall have the greater bliss in this world. But to the Atani I will give a new gift. Therefore he willed that the hearts of men should seek beyond the world and should find no rest therein but they should have a virtue to shape their life amid the powers and chances of the world beyond the music of the Ainur, which is as fate to all things else. And of their operation, everything should be in form and deed completed and the world fulfilled unto the last and smallest. But Iluvatar knew that men being set amid the turmoils of the powers of the world would stray often. It would not use their gifts in harmony. And he said, these two in their time, shall find that all that they do redounds at the end only to the glory of my work yet the elves believe that men are often a grief to manway who knows most the mind of iluvatar for it seems to the elves that men resemble melkor most of all the ainor although he has ever feared and hated them even those that served him it is one with this gift of freedom that the children of men dwell only a short space in the world alive and are not bound to it and only and and depart soon Uh, "'whither the elves know not. "'Whereas the elves remain until the end of days, "'and their love of the earth and all the world "'is more single and more poignant, therefore, "'and as the years lengthen, ever more sorrowful. "'For the elves die not until the world dies, "'unless they are slain or waste in grief, "'and to both these seeming deaths they are subject. "'Neither does age subdue their strength "'unless one grow weary of ten thousand centuries. "'And dying, they are gathered to the halls of Mandos and Valinor, Whence they may in time return. But the sons of men die indeed and leave the world, wherefore they are called the guests or the strangers. Death is their fate, the gift of Luvatar, which as time wears, even the power shall envy. But Melkor cast his shadow upon it and confounded it with darkness and brought forth evil out of good and fear out of hope. Yet of old the Valar declared the elves in Valinor. Uh, Declared to the elves in Valinor that men shall join the second music of the Ainor, whereas Iluvatar has not revealed what he purposes for the elves after the world's end, and Melkor has not discovered it. Whoa, bro. (laughs) There's so much going on there, and and especially there at the end where it talks about men join the second music of the uh, not the elves, uh, there aren't more Valar to add to that chorus. Men get to do it. I don't know. I I, I have so many, <laughs> I have so many thoughts at the end of this. I was I was very swept up in, in that whole description there. Uh, it's it's hard to put into words. Uh, I I found it very beautiful I, and moving.
1: I had underlined where it talks about the men, that they would stray often and would and would not use their gifts in harmony. And he said, these two in their time shall find that all they do redounds at the end, only to the glory of my work. Just, I mean, the obvious, this is, you know, mythology, fake. But it just reminds me of even the the evils that man had done, all, you know, God works to good. And Mm -hmm. so you definitely hear those elements in here as well.
2: It's really beautifully written.
1: and and, you know Morgoth
0: seems so strong right and he's able to thwart all of the Valar um he is the strongest single Vala and yet he he has no idea what Iluvatar is going to do right Monway gets to understand the mind of Iluvatar Melkor has no idea and he he bears no resemblance uh, to Iluvatar at all and uh um the fact that you know he attempts to twist men um in the elves see a, a a similarity between men and Morgoth, uh, and elves uh, began very distrusting of of men, um, and yet there is a fate there's a fate for men that even Melkor doesn't get. You know it's it's kind of like um, where uh, angels long to look into the things that concern uh, concern believers. Right there, so there, there's a the aspect of salvation for us that we we get to learn about and understand in Scripture um truths about us and how we've been saved that even angels long to understand but but have no basis to understand it and, and I I see kind of that parallel as well that Morgoth um, seeks to do so much um, damage in the world and and remake the world and make it like the void and yet he has no clue. What Iluvatar has in store, not only for creation, but but even for uh, the race of men that he that he made, and, and Melkor can't stop him because <laughs> you have to know his plan in order to thwart it, right? Um, and uh, I I just think that 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 supremacy of Iluvatar over all of these uh, works that would try to subvert his will are are completely useless, um, and even the evil men that want to do the will of Morgoth. Even that evil that they do, uh, will redound to the glory of Luvatar instead. So you can you can clearly see this this Christian parallel here. You know, it reminds me of uh, of Joseph's story. You know, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. Uh, it's the very same principle of God's of God's sovereignty, uh, His righteousness, and His ultimate power to accomplish that righteousness in the face of uh, of um created, uh, enemies who are created in finite, attempting to thwart his will. Um, Very, very heartening to me.
3: And he chooses, uh, uh, Iluvatar chooses men, who, of of the two children of of Iluvatar, they're not the ones that look like they would be the ones involved in, like, the second music of the Ainur. Like, they don't, you know, the elves do the beautiful works. They seem like great beings the men are kind of like melkor and yet they're the ones who are chosen to to do this so it's it's one of those um you know those situations where god chooses the jews over say the assyrians the powerful you know he always chooses the the people that
0: the weaker the the people that are
3: weak and, and 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 smaller so that he can show that it's his work not the greatness of the elves or whatever. He's using men who are kind of the you know, evil-ish ones in this who don't even have like a, a single kind of method that they're working on. They're fighting within themselves. And that's what he uses to do what he wants to do.
2: Yeah, I, I found it. It just occurred to me too that um the music is already sung before any of this happens, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So you also have that whole, you know, everything being predestined, you mm-hmm. know, this is, it's already, it's already been sung at before the foundation of the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, Yeah. Before anything is created, all of the music is complete and you're just going out and fulfilling the music, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, all the music for the recreation of the world, that second music is already in existence. It's just waiting to be played out in history. Yeah.
3: Right. Tolkien was a closet Calvinist.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, honestly, I mean, <laughs> e- even people who commentators, Christian commentators who are not Calvinists, have, have had to grapple with that the fact that these, these, uh, these themes that that the reformed, especially, are um, uh, champion, uh, are all present in, in Tolkien's works. Yeah.
1: Well, and you see, there's a little bit of tension too, because in the paragraph right before where you started reading, he kind of talks about how the Ainur can't force the elves or the Ben to do what they ought to do, and if yeah. they try to, it kind of doesn't go well. So I, I thought of how, you know, there's that little bit of an element of that free will. But, but really, a lot of times when people are talking of free will, they mean it one way, but it, but they're really thinking of it in another. And it's, you know, that I, idea of free agency and, and that it's, it's not a contradiction, but just that tug and that mystery of, of yeah. things being predestined and foreordained but yet through the acts of, you know, free agents, like we're not robots and mm-hmm. the elves and men are not robots. But yet, you know, Iluvatar is everything is going as he had foresung.
0: <laughs> and it's also interesting, too, you know, the the, the Valar don't have the authority to in, uh, command anything of anybody. Right. Kind of in this structure, they are like archangels, basically like a club of archangels. And so, yeah, men, men have never been ruled by angels, right? They're, they're servants, right. To, to the people of God, um, are guardian, you know, guardian angels we talk about. Um, and, uh, so, so they were never meant angels were never meant to be overlords, uh, over people. So I think, I think very much he's brought that paradigm over to the Valar, um, and, and that's that's exactly what Morgoth does, right? He's he's the he's the ideal of a tyrant, right? Because he's he's got this uh, this divine power; uh, he can't be killed, and he intends to to subdue people and rule them. Um, so yeah, very much uh, that that coercive power that he doesn't deserve to have. Only Luvatar has that has the right as the creator to uh, to order his creation.
1: Yeah, this last section just really made me think of Romans eight for various reasons. I mean, we already mentioned the things, you know, that are meant for evil, for good, but even towards the end where it talks about Mor- or Melchor or Melkor casting the shadow upon, you know, the gift of death, I think of Romans eight, one, where it talks about um that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ and and how Melchor, like Satan kind of wants to condemn us and and maybe strike fear in us about death. Um, but yet in Christ, we we don't have to fear death, and we only have hope to look forward to. But yet Melkor is really, I mean, he's just twisting everything he possibly can to do his bidding. And so he'll cast shadows even on the good in that as well.
0: Great point. Yeah, I think that's spot on.
1: Anything else?
0: Any other thoughts? Any other any other comments that are
1: a roommate, or Rome is the best. <laughs> and he didn't talk about his horse.
0: Yeah, and he gets to he gets to sound his uh his illustrious horn, the Valaroma.
1: On a sh- shining silvery horse. I'm here for it.
0: Yeah, by by the time this comes out, our, our episode entitled The Champagne Gene will have already hit the airwaves so we could have had a Great. champagne Gene part two
1: <laughs> I think a romance horse has the cream jean the champagne jean and the pearl gene all in one <laughs> and nobody knows what I'm talking about and that's okay
0: I'm not a horse boy sorry but we know Nahar is the greatest of all horses and Mandos is the best of all the halls and, and hey he got a shout out here at the end too <laughs> so all, all of all of our uh, our our choice valar uh got shout outs uh, in in the course of this chapter so i was i was happy for that we didn't read anything about my boy ulmo tonight but that's okay he's he's watching over the waters for all our sakes
2: he had one of my favorite parts in this chapter just talking about the music the mm-hmm. love this little section the, in the deep places he gives thought to music great and terrible and the echo of that music runs through all the veins of the world in sorrow and enjoy for if joyful is the fountain that rises in the sun its springs are in the wells of sorrow unfathomed at the foundations of the earth
0: Dude. so good that's a poem right there yeah
1: i love so too deep. that it said that because he never forsook Moodle Earth, it never died, mm-hmm. and you know, just that I don't know. I love that part too. Shout out yeah. to Olmo.
0: Yeah, he he only comes mm-hmm. to Valinor if they if they call a big meeting and they ask him to be there. Otherwise, man, he's he's scouting. He's on the road. He's a uh, man. almost based. <laughs> he's my favorite. In the water. In the water. Yeah. <laughs> based in the water. Based in the waters, man. Monwey's based in the air oh oh the uh the Eagles got a shout out as well um, yes. and part of the basis of why spirits. why we get so angry about people saying well why didn't they why didn't they just ride the Eagles to Mordor uh because they're not they're not just eagles there's they're spirits uh that that answer to Monway in, and they just exist in the shape of of great eagles as well as other creatures too so um they're not the middle Earth taxi service um, they, they don't even have to listen to uh Gandalf if they don't want. Um, Gandalf just has done favors for the elf for the uh the eagles in the past and and has called in those favors at at strategic points. So, uh, um, the elves don't answer to you, okay? They're not your birds, they're Monway's birds. He, he does what he likes. So,
1: the eagles, not
0: the elves. Oh, sorry, eagles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey <laughs> T- tell you man i i'm an hour ahead of you my my filter is off the wires are crossed yeah. heresy the, e- <laughs> <laughs> the eagles are monway's birds they do not answer to you it's time, it's time to call it <laughs> <laughs> yeah before before something dangerous happens thank you all for uh this discussion this evening uh it was wonderful as always and uh uh, I always uh, have enjoyed these uh, these recording sessions and I hope our listeners enjoy them as much if not more than we do. So uh, anyone out there listening can uh, can find us on the uh, the Podcatcher of your choice. Uh, use your free agency to choose uh, a podcatcher service and subscribe to the literary Baptists. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page uh, which has some fire memes on it from time to time and then uh, we also have a, a very sparse but getting more active twitter as well um and so uh, all the all the links will be in the show notes uh, come come uh, give us a follow or a like and uh and uh, we'd love to hear any any feedback any suggestions of uh, particular topics to talk about or uh, or recommendations for other books once we finish the silmarillion uh come say hi we we would appreciate it uh thank you all very much uh May Monway keep you in the one (laughs) Uh, grace and peace and peace out.
1: I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do such a great
0: job cutting this uh, awkward pause out here while I look for my thing. Here we go.